Okay, brothers and sisters, how are you? Yahweh, Haba, I pray the sharing of this word falls on good ears, Father, that they understand. And the sharing of this is coming from you, that I'm simply the conduit to bring to them, Father God. And that I am honoring the prayer that I gave and you are blessing me in my prayer of Shabbos, Father. And that in blessing them, I'm receiving the blessing. Father God, and we bless you in honoring you and sharing your word because that's what I'm supposed to do, Father God. And in doing so, to never forget, never to forget to remind them that the blessing comes from you, Father God. This is for your glory, your import to share of the word of your only begotten son that came to rescue us, Father. He is our redeemer. Yahweh Haman, Yeshua Haman, Parakletos Haman. Hey, brothers and sisters. So today I'm going to digress a little from what we went to. I, I shared with a depressive and depression thing, um, which is important. I think with everything that's going on around us that we can look around and see all this sort of thing going on and that we, um, we have to be very diligent not to allow these things to come in and take place. And this is, this is something of importance since I, I touched on that, is not allowing the happenings to determine our happiness. We must be looking and allowing the joy of the Lord to be our strength, not what happens around us to determine whether we're going to be happy or joyful or blessed that day, not to allow the happenings of this dark place that we're traveling through. Know this too, brothers and sisters, this is not our home. People talk about, oh, our home, our home, our home. This is not our home. This is merely a place that we're traveling through. We are on a visa travel permit because we are citizens of heaven and acceptance of Jesus Christ as the only begotten son of Lord God, creator of all things. We are on a visa travel permit. And during our course of travels, we are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others would have the opportunity to be saved and not perish. Perishing means being separated from God for eternity. It has nothing to do with death. Well, it does and it doesn't, but it's perish. the word perishing is the eternal separation from God, our Creator, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ, and the immense blessings that we will be partaking in. That's what perishing is, and we don't want them to perish. We want them to be able to have the opportunity that we have. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, so loved the world. We have to do this in love. We can share all of these things. We can do all we do, but if we don't have love, I mean, Paul talks about that in his letter. If we don't have love, then it just means nothing. The words that we say fall and sound like tinkling brass and you could be standing there clanging cymbals for all that matters 
If you don't love people, you don't love them truly, then the words are empty. And the ideologies are what we need to remember are the ones that are the abomination, not the people. So the alphabet society, (laughs) their ideologies are an abomination to Father God. And if you are a faithful, God-fearing, true Christian, not a cultural Christian, a true Christian, then it should and must be an abomination to you as well, and me as well. However, that's the ideology. That's not the person. Many people confuse this. They can't break apart the fact that an ideology is not a person and that a person is not the ideology. They don't get that. Oh, if you're hateful of what they're doing, then you must hate the person. No, that's not true. This, all this stuff, this transgendering and all this, the homosexuality the abounding and teeming in this life is a perpetration on our way and our faith by the enemy. And it's not okay. That's the ideology, not the person. The person we pray for, we love them still. The ideology is the abomination. And remember, this is something that's not new. People people think this is some kind of a new concept or some kind of a new thing that just happened in our era. That's not true. If you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, when the angels came to visit Lot as being the only God-fearing, righteous person in the area, and the angels came to his home, and when they came in, that they were on the street and they saw them go in, they came to Lot's door and they attempted to enter his home. And Lot locked them out and he brought them in for protection. And they said, send them out so that we may know them. They weren't talking about introduction and taking them down to the local coffee shop, okay? So this is something, they were talking strict carnal knowledge here. This is something that's not new. This is not something that's been invented in recent years. This is something that's going around. And again, the chance that people have to be saved and to follow in the word of God to be saved and believe that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son and did come to save everyone. Jesus Christ came to save, rescue, redeem the world. For God so loved the world. God didn't love the whites over the blacks, the blacks over the whites, the the two over the Chinese or anyone else. There's nowhere in the word does it talk about that. Nowhere. It talks about, for God so loved the world. And that means everyone. Not the haves, the have-nots. And remember that blessings come in the breaking. I mean, I, (laughs) I got broke. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not the surrounding happenings in my life. I used to walk around that way 
And if something wasn't happening around me that was great and, <coughs> pardon me, purposeful toward me, <clears throat> I didn't see that it was making me happy. But that's not what we should do. We should focus on the word. We should lean in toward God and let our faith lead us. Remember, we walk in faith and not by sight. So walking in faith with God and leaning in towards God's leaning through this course of life, allowing us to travel through here on our visa, on our way home, our heavenly home, and our purpose while we're here is to share the good news gospel of Jesus Christ. That is all of our purposes. And we are all in that one purpose. Our marching orders might be different. God, for a short time, is allowing me to do this. Or it may be for the rest of my time. I don't know. Here's, here's an odd thing, okay? Who in this world in their right mind would sign a blank contract? You're not going to go into some business, worldly-wise, and sign a blank contract. That's just not something that's uh, conceivably done in this world and on this plane of existence, except that I did that. And I've got no problem with that because I'm walking in faith with my God. And here's the other thing, brothers and sisters, is that the pen that I used to sign it with, God handed it to me to use to sign the contract. It was not ink in that pen that I signed with. It was the blood of of my Lord Jesus Christ. And I signed that contract with my Lord God Almighty and it's blank. And I don't care. Honestly, I don't care. Why? Because it's my Lord God Almighty. And what my Lord God Almighty sees me to do and leads me toward, he will make a way in that. In this thing here, I prayed for not having any idea what to do. It was suggested by another person in this particular place that I was and telling me that I'm not supposed to be sharing the way I was sharing and that, um, you know, I'm not a teacher or this and that and sometimes I come off that way. Well, if you can learn from what I'm sharing, then so be it. Amen. That's what amen means, so be it. And Yahweh aman, that means God praiseworthy. And that's what this is about. And I had no clue. And laying this at God's throne, I was, God, I, man, I was researching and trying to find this. And, and I had no idea what to do because the other person suggested that maybe a podcast because then people could listen as they wanted to and they weren't feeling like a uh, captive audience or whatever. I, I don't know. It was really weird, some of the stuff that they were saying. And, and I, you know, I share with you this. As if the Holy Spirit is leading me to do something and I'm listening and leaning that way and walking that way and walking faithfully toward that direction and then having mammon tell me that I'm not supposed to be teaching that way or that I don't have a teaching credential so that I'm not supposed to be, well, I got an issue with that. First of all, they're not in charge of the Holy Spirit. They're not telling God that he made a mistake. Basically, that's what I was being told is that I made a mistake, that 
I wasn't hearing God right or that the Holy Spirit wasn't talking to me right or something. They didn't come out and use those exact words, but in coming the way that they did, that that made me uncomfortable. Didn't get confrontational about it because God doesn't need me to defend him. He doesn't need me to apologize for him. And, and quite honestly, I was in a position, I felt put in a position that where I should, and I actually did. But then praying about it more, I recanted that apology and I made that known to, to my group. And I said, you know, I'm not going to apologize because this is a leading of the Holy Spirit. And anyone that has an issue with that, let me know. And, you know, you don't have to listen to everything I'm saying all at once. You can listen to it in part or you can even hit that little trash can icon and make it disappear. It's not going to send an alarm to my phone and say, ding, 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 so-and-so erased your message. They didn't listen. That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is as it is in the word of God, they that have an ear, let them hear. And in the book of Revelation, in chapter 2 to 14, that's expressed by the angel talking to John on the island of Patmos at least eight times that I counted there. And then going through the book of Revelation more, it's continued in there. The angel keeps saying, he that has an ear, let them hear. And when John shares the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalyptos, which is Greek for the unveiling, that's all it means. It doesn't mean that the Terminator's coming, going to destroy the planet, and aliens are going to come and blow stuff up. It doesn't mean that. It simply means unveiling. The unveiling of Jesus Christ, who incidentally, as I related to you, is coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, which is how he's described in the book of Revelation. He's not coming back as the baby. He's coming back as the reigning king of heaven and the hosts of heaven will be with him. That is how he's coming the second time. But in doing that, Jesus Christ in Luke 24, I believe is the specific book and chapter, Jesus Christ relates to that it will be in the time of Noah. And he expressed that to the disciples who were talking about when you're coming back, when you're coming back, because Jesus Christ spoke to his having to leave and that he kept telling them that he would come back. And they kept asking him, they hounded him for when he would come back. Oh, I'm sorry, it is not Luke 24. It is in Luke chapter 17. And uh, 17, ah, 17, 24. Sorry, there's a 24. Sorry about that. Um, when they kept asking him, it says, For is the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part of heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Son of Man being Jesus Christ. And before he comes back, it's going to be like that. But we have to remember too, walking in faith and the blessings. Blessings come in the breaking. 
breaking of the bread by Jesus Christ and the fish from the child, his lunch. He broke it, he prayed over it, he blessed it, and the disciples went out and fed the multitude, which Jesus Christ incidentally did that two times. And this particular one that people seem to remember so much that he took the child's lunch and that actually the number that they talk about in the Bible is the cultural number. And during that time, you have to realize that they counted the men as the family. Um, that was just what they did. The man was the head of the family. It wasn't uh, counted that a woman would have a job job, but she had, of course, we know that women's job is very important in the house. Supporting the husband, taking care of the children, cleaning the house, and cooking, all that. That's not light work. <coughs> Pardon me. And so they counted the men, 5,000, had them sit down. But then if each and every man was married and the average household in that day and in that cultural time were four kids. So now you're talking the man, the woman, and four children. Now you're talking six people to a house. So you can relatively get a close number to the people if you six times five is what? That's 30. And if you're talking about 500 times six, yeah. So, you know, it's, or, you know, you're not talking 5,000, you're talking like 30. You're filling a football stadium that we're all over the, all over the hillside. So, you know, you're talking about uh, numbers being huge, great numbers. And, uh, but blessings come in things being broken. I am so blessed in my life and this walk that I'm in now. I don't have nearly anything that I used to have. But were all those things I needed? No. They were things that I looked at and thought I needed to have. And this is what we get confused in. The need and the blessing. We have to be able to differentiate that. God knows everything that we need, but we see it many times as a need, but it's really a want. God is providing me with everything that I need in this life. I don't have what I had before, but that's not the joy of my life. It is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So being able to do this and share with you, my brothers and sisters, and we need to realize that we're not in this thing for all the things that we can have. What do you, what, you know, that we can have and, and take, what are we going to take it with us? God doesn't have a moving company that sends down his uh, heavenly U-Haul trailers and we can hook it up and take it with us. I mean, what's really? And what, what's his silly saying? It's the, the guy who's got the most toys in the end wins. Wins what? We come into this world naked. We shall go out naked. I mean, Job said that when he was going through all of his thing with the depression. He actually said that when he was sitting in the dust and ashes of what was left of his children's home. He was had rent his clothes and he was mourning the loss of everything he had 
earthly wise, but he did not curse God and he did not blame God. He he definitely griped about his what had happened in his life and he asked God why, but he did not curse God. And remember this too, that when we go through certain things, God is not obligated to answer us when we ask him why. More oftentimes than not, brothers and sisters, we should be asking God what? What is it that you're trying to teach me? And let me tell you the, the lesson that I have, that I'm coming back with and come away with all the time as I'm even sitting here looking around in my house and seeing the things that are here and the things that are not here. I have what I need to have. I have a roof over my head, my two dogs, my companionship, my my emotional support animals, my emotional support by God, my Father, the Holy Spirit, and my prayer and my faith in the walk that I have what I need, not what I perceive that I need. And that's wherein the problem comes for me and others. Things that we think that we need to have. We don't need them, we want them, and then we get messed up because we either overspend or, and do all this craziness and then, or the credit cards are declined when we're out at a fancy restaurant and, you know, taking our lady out or our wives or, you know, what have you, and we're trying to be impressive or a really good celebration dinner, and then we proffer up that piece of plastic, and then, eh, sorry, sir, your card's declined. And, you know, it happens, it has happened, but, I mean, reality-wise, do we need it or do we want it? God knows what we need, and he will bless us with what we need. And we just have to remember, too, that in God's, in Second Peter 3.18, as I read that to you, that that's what Peter is, is wishing for us and praying for us and in that hope and his prayer. You know, he wants us to have those things to abound in our lives, abound in our lives, to just be huge in number for us. And the word abound, it's, it's a, that's a pretty interesting word in and of itself. But, you know, uh, I'm going to get that and read it to you again. But grow in grace and to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That is what, what Peter prays for us to have. That we grow in the grace of the Lord that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the word of our Lord and we share that Jesus Christ and that we have both of them and that that grows in us. And the grace that we have is important. I mean, we have to realize that that love and that grace that Jesus Christ had in coming for us that we share with other people and it doesn't ever matter what they look like or what even they may smell like. You have to remember that none of these things that are happening in our generation, in this time, in this era, are new to anyone. Look in the Bible. You look back. There were homeless people back in the day. The man that sat at the gate that was blind and begging for alms. And Jesus Christ came to him, spit in the clay and put it on his eye and told him to wash it out. And he could see 
The man was a homeless beggar in the gate. He used to sleep beside the wall of the city in there because he couldn't see to get anywhere. And no one would help him because everyone walked by and looked at him as a lesser creature. The same way that we do with our homeless people here now, we judge them, we look at them, we smell them. But who are we to judge them? Where did they come from that you know what their walk was that got them to where they are? Do we know that? No, we don't. So we do not have the right or the authority to put ourselves in judgment of them. Any one of them. They're all loved of God. They're all God's creatures. And no one knows what their walk was to get them there. And I learned this very important fact. I have a regular passenger that rides with me. Everybody makes fun of him. He does smell sometimes when he doesn't have an opportunity to get into place and bathe. But generally speaking, he's always dressed decently, but he always carries his bags with him wherever he goes and he rides a bus frequently and he run, rides a bus just wherever he can. That's what he spends his day in. And drivers would make fun of him. And it used to just irritate the heck out of me that they would make fun of him, but never said anything. I didn't get confrontational, but it just irked me. But then I found something else out about this guy. This guy has multiple PhDs. The guy has profound knowledge. He's also a wise man. He wouldn't talk to anybody, was always silent, was always quiet. But then I found out that he has multiple PhDs. The guy is a multiple doctorate. And what got him to where he is, is the entire loss of every single member of his household in one place at one time while he was not there. He was away teaching at a seminar, came back to find out that his wife, his children, mother and father, and the only ones that he had left in relationship to him, they were all in one place at one time and there was a fire. The house was destroyed. And much like Job, it took him to a place. It took him to a place of darkness. And without, perhaps for him, without the knowledge of Jesus Christ and God for the guidance and comfort. But I don't know that because I'm just getting to conversate with him. And I was, and he would talk to me we would actually have conversations. He wouldn't talk to anyone else. But I just, I made it a determined point that I was going to get to talk with him. And there are others that I do the same thing with. And how do I do that? I just keep pouring out kindness to them. That's all I do. And the reason that they shut off so much with everyone else and everyone else makes fun of them. They poke at them. And they talk about them as if they can't hear them. They think that simply because the person's like they are, they can't understand our language or they're dotted or something. I don't know what the issue is, but they talk around them like they're not even there. And maybe that's what the thing is. They become invisible to them because their attitude toward people has become that way. 
Well, it was that way in the time of Christ as well, that people would be in the street begging for alms, and people looked at them and sometimes would walk by them in scorn and spit on the ground by them. And these were their own people. These are our own people, and yet we do the same thing to them. Are we not guilty of that very same thing? Looking down on them, why? Because they don't have a roof over their head, they don't drive a car, they don't have a job. Yes, granted, there are some that do that because they find it an easy way to get over on the system. I'll give you that, and that's true because I've actually heard conversations between individuals talking about how they get over on the system and actually educating their children on how to do the same thing. Why? Because our government has made it so easy for them to do that. They don't have to do any work. They don't have to support the rest of anyone else except themselves. And that's why our streets look the way they do. Sorry, that's just... Not that I'm an opinionated person in any way, shape, or form. But anyway, let's leave that behind, shall we? But we need to have faith in what we do. We need to share the grace. We need to share the love of Jesus Christ. We need to have that compassion that he had. Jesus Christ came and had compassion on everyone. It didn't matter what their station in life was. The same message Jesus Christ gave to the poor, he gave to the rich. It didn't change and get more flowery with the, with the rich. Sometimes it even became more simplistic. And they didn't get it because they felt themselves to be so far above and educated than anyone else. And yet they missed it all. Case in point, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin felt themselves so high above. Their piety carried them so high above everyone else. And when they went out in the streets and they had their robes on and then they put their cover over their head and they walked the street, people would step aside and break open in the, in the throngs to allow them to pass through without being touched. They didn't even want to touch the other people <clears throat> because they felt that they would be defiled or made unclean. What is that about? Which is what... <laughs> You know, okay, let's take it here. We won't shake hands with a homeless person if they put their hand out to shake our hands. Why? Because we don't know where it's been or they're filthy or nasty and we don't want to be what? Defiled? And we don't know, so then we just distance ourselves and then we become more distant. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> Sorry. So... We are the same way. We have to be more gracious. I mean, look at this. God graces us with breath and life. He graces me every single day with breath. I don't deserve it, and yet he gives it to me. And the new mercies that I see every single day, how is that? And that he allows me to draw the breath and keep breathing through the course of the day. That's mercy. Grace is that he's given me what I don't deserve and didn't ask for. The breath, I'd like to have it, but I didn't ask for it. And he graces me with it because he loves me, because I'm his child. And then mercifully, he allows me to keep it and go through life because I have a purpose. My purpose is to share the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer. The contract that I signed with God, blank contract, because for me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God decides, I'm good with that. I signed it with a fountain pen that God handed to me. That fountain pen had the ink in it was of the blood of Jesus Christ, my only begotten Savior, the only begotten Son of God, my Savior. That's what was in that blood. I signed my name to the contract with God because I'm alive being rescued by Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit walks beside me and guides me through life. Lord God Almighty created me. And how can I refuse to do what he asked me to do? Oh, God, I can't do that. I mean, you know, you only came and sent Jesus Christ. He died for me. Yeah, I know, I know. And, you know, I should probably. No, no question at all. No effort on my part at all. Yeah, give me the pen. Where do you want me to sign? Anywhere? Okay, I'll sign it. It's a whole blank piece of paper. I'll sign it. And I did, and I will. And I will adhere to that. And I'm sure that he's going to keep me to that. It's a contract. As we walk in this face of this earth, nobody in their right mind would sign a blank contract, but this is my Lord God, creator of all things. We walk in faith and not by sight. Okay, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Got to remember that one. That's, uh, that's the, <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the faith deal. Faith. For now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And this is kind of like what I shared with you earlier, brothers and sisters. We have faith in the pilot of the airplane. We have faith in our auto mechanics. And we have faith in all of those things. And we don't see them. (laughs) But yet... We seem to have an issue with God. And I have heard people use this before. Well, I don't see God. How do I know he's there? Well, you don't watch the mechanic work on your car. How do you know he's there? You don't see the pilot of the jet plane, except that he come back sometime to stretch his legs after sitting in that cramped cockpit for 8, 10, 11 hours flying you across the, the globe. And he might stretch from walking down to the back galley to get a cup of coffee and back up there. And you don't know because you don't see him unless he does that. But yet you have faith and you do it. So that's all I'm saying, brothers and sisters. Have faith, press on, and that's important that we do that. And the scriptures, you read it in Second Peter 1, 8 through 11, 4 through 7 is, is an import, kind of a prequel to that. But, uh, you know, Second Peter 1, 11, wow, talks about the blessing and the things that we receive in our blessings. 2 Peter 3.18, this is his desire for us, the love of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of the word of God so that we can share that. And brothers and sisters, these things come from God. These things that I share come from God. And I'm getting carried away again. Off I went. Anyway, brothers and sisters, I love you pray for you and this time is ending for us because it's getting kind of lengthy so listen in part if you like
or listen to the whole thing at once, but this is about being blessed. I hope and pray in my faith that the words come because they are truth. As I shared with you the other day, try the spirit. Always try the spirit. I've done so. I've been led right out of churches where I didn't belong. The Holy Spirit will guide. I know this, though I tell you with my mouth, what I share is truth. Anything I say or talk about, you can go to the Word of God and find it there. Love you, brothers and sisters. You have a good, blessed day. Morning, brothers and sisters. And this morning, let's begin as I'd like to do talking to our Father, Yahweh, Abba. Thank you for this opportunity, Father God, that you have allowed and shown me into and how to do this thing, this new thing, showing your old dog new tricks. Thank you, Father, that this word blesses whomever will listen, Father God. The purpose is to glorify your name, to share the gospel of your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and talk about you, Jesus, Paracletos, the Holy Spirit, to come walk beside us, to guide us. Thank you, Father, for this day, this morning, this new breath, your, your grace in my breath, your mercy to allow me to continue to draw, Father, and so easily taken for granted. Father, forgive us for that. Lead us this day. Father, thank you. Yahweh Aman. Yahshua Aman. Parakritos Aman. So, there were, uh, in my study time, went to um, find that, you know, we talked about depression the other day. And, um, you know, along with that comes this specter or used to be a specter of what was and what actually many Christians even still are fearful of death and here's the thing the fear of death used to be something that haunted me I mean quite honestly it was like oh my gosh but why it's the doorway to the eternity with our Father, Christ, Holy Spirit, our loved ones that have gone before and waiting for us. It's just a doorway. It's just another it's just another venue that we have to that we have to travel through. That that's all it is, really. And the Bible talks about this so much and, and explains, but Yet there's there are Christians that are fearful of death, and you know I in the study I I got to thinking afterwards, why what is what's the what am I holding on to that uh, I want to yeah okay we don't really want to be gone from separated from loved ones and but what's the deal there? Really, this is a temporal plane that we're living on and everything here is going to pass away anyway. And are we 
more like Lot's wife when they were told to leave and she turned back, disobeying completely what she was told, completely disobeying because God was saving, God was saving them. I mean, God, God led them out by angelic beings came and, and delivered them out of destruction because of the, the absolute depravity that they had sunk to in the city, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were almost like Dallas and Fort Worth, the, you know, the way that they were situated out in the plains. But they had sunk so low, but yet in going out to salvation, she stopped and turned. What, what was back there? We're told that we have to be ready to go. And when the time comes and we're on the rooftop that we take off and go and don't turn back to get anything. You don't go back to say, hold on, I got to grab a sweater and then go in and whatever's left behind, it's time to go, it's time to go. But, you know, I wonder how we hold on to so many things. You know, it's just... Um, yeah, we're thinking of friends and family that would, would not repent and turn to God. And I mean, that's, I think that's what Lot's wife was doing. She was thinking about them. So she stopped and wanted to go back. I'm, you know, her thought was to go back, but it was complete disobedience of what she was told to do. We're only passing through this plane. This is not even our real home. Our real home as faithful to his word is heaven with our Father God creator, Jesus Christ and our loved ones that have gone before. If you are truly faithful, a truthful Christian and honestly follow the word of God, go to the word of God and like I have shared with anyone, you listen to this, Try the spirit of truth. We are to do that whenever you go into any church or anywhere that they're claiming to speak from the Bible and speak the good news gospel of Jesus Christ and yet don't, then be wary and go. And I'll be very honest with you. I've actually had the Holy Spirit lead me out of a couple places. I mean, took me right out. And um, one of them was very surprising. <laughs> actually, the pastor in that church had security guards, civilian clothed security guards. They were not police officers. These were private security guys. And the uniformed police officers, when they came to confront, absolutely turned away. They didn't even they didn't even look. I mean, they just turned a blind eye. And you know, unfortunately, in many churches, uh, they have to have the arm. They have police officers that are performing extra duty on Sundays as protection. Is that not craziness or what? Showing where this world is going to they have to have police and gatherings like that because the church has become a target. And it has, this is truth, it's real. But anyway, these two thugs came up and 
The only thing I was going to do is talk to the pastor about the extremely loud music and and uh, how many parents were actually sitting in there and the moms were holding their hands over the kids' ears. And I looked around and saw this going, why do you even have them in there for that? But the import of this was that it was not a viable place for growth for a true Christian. And the Holy Spirit just walked me right straight out. These guys came up and and I just looked straight at the pastor because I'd already, I just shook his hand and his wife was very cordial and shook her hand and started to speak. And then they just, I don't, I'm not even sure what the heck was going on there. But anyway, the Holy Spirit led me out of there because it was not a good place to be. And it wasn't, nobody had tossed me or I just, I walked and that sort of thing, that's, that's just ridiculous. That's not supposed to be in the house of God. But anyway, try the spirit of what I'm telling you is truth. I speak truth. I speak from the word of God and what I say is there. And I'm not going to just make up a whole bunch of stuff to throw out there as there are those that will. And let me share this before we continue on about... Uh, death and his lies is that we have truth to hold on to and it's in the word of God and we need to just stay in that don't fall into this cultural Christianity thing that people will fall into because it's a convenient thing and, and where they are in a cultural environment at the time. But they don't go, they go to church only on Sunday, only on special occasions, and only if sometimes only have nagged to do so by either the wife or husband or kids want to go because their friends are going there and they get caught into that and then there's no prayer. They, they don't even pray over meals in the house. Nothing extra goes on. They don't do what the Bible guides them to do. And they become what I call SpongeBob Christians. They walk around holding on to a Bible, thinking that they're going to absorb their Christianity through the Bible. They've never actually talked to Jesus Christ and asked God to forgive them for their sins and if they're not accepting Jesus Christ they're not talking to God they're not prayerful and they're not following what the word guides to do <coughs> pardon me then that's not true Christianity that's Spongebob cultural Christianity you know they'll walk past the church and you know they think they're Christians or they even lie about it, you know, when they're asked, oh, did you go to church Sunday? He said, yeah, I went, yeah, I, I stopped by. Well, no, they walk by, you know, and some of their friends are Christians, so they think if they hang out with them and listen to what they say, that they're going to become a Christian that way. That's not exactly how it works. So we have the opportunity. We don't want to be there. And those that teach these false doctrines and those that uh, lead that way. There's actually scripture for them. And Paul wrote it. And the words are, it would be better for them had they not known the word. 
So knowing the word of God, willfully and purposefully deceiving people by false doctrines, false teachings, is not going to bode well for them when it comes. There, there will be some things special. So purposefully and willfully using the word of God and guiding people into falsehood and lies, that's not a good thing to do. Try my spirit because I speak truth, I speak from the word, and God, like I shared in previous, God's led me through to this. I was, I had no idea what to do. Um, <laughs> I had individuals telling me that I'm not supposed to share the gospel the way I do. Well, sorry, but the Holy Spirit tells me that. And it's not that you have a person, mammon, telling me that the Holy Spirit is not telling me to share the way I do. It uh, doesn't work that way. And there are actually churches that have spoken to their flock and told them that they're not to go and pray to God, that only their prophets are going to speak over them and give them scripture that they're supposed to do and that the Holy Spirit speaks to them to speak to the people. It doesn't work that way. We have to lean in to the word of God. God and the Holy Spirit is not going to have people to do that and tell them that way. Jesus Christ told us, we go to the Father through him in acceptance of him. We have the opportunity to talk and pray to God. We can talk to the Holy Spirit Lean in and listen. They will speak back. You don't have to have some special elder at a church that will speak to the Holy Spirit and talk to God for you. That is not biblical. It is totally contrary to what the Word of God teaches. So anyway, see, I get excited about the Word of God. I'm telling you, I do. <laughs> if you haven't figured that out and see how I take off. Anyway, back to what we were talking about, deaths, that that there are... Christians that are actually afraid of death. And, and the Bible, <clears throat> speaking of death, there's always the reference of separation. Um, there's physical death is a separation of the soul and spirit from the body. Then you have spiritual death as a soul separated from a relationship with God. And in the Bible, it speaks of second death as referred to in Revelation 20, 13 through 15, in part, and the sea gave up the dead. And then verse 14 and 15, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That's a second death. In verse 15, and whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the ultimate end. And that is internal separation from God. And that's what it means to perish. Perish has nothing to do with your physical being being put in the grave. Some people call that perishing. But perishing is the eternal separation from us, from God, our Creator, Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and our loved ones that went and are there and being separated for eternity from that. The separation of God, our Creator, Father, 
and Jesus Christ eternally, that's, that's to perish. John eleven twenty five and 26, uh, Jesus was talking to Martha um, at the time when he came for Lazarus. And he was sharing with her, and he said, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Just looked right at her and told her. And, of course, we know that the rest of the story from there, when she affirmatively responded, he called, he called into the grave, he told them to remove the stone, and he called into Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus got up and came walking out because of the authority and power of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He wrested the keys from death. He didn't have to wrestle him. He just rested him. He went down there and his authority, he reached out, he grabbed onto the keys and he pulled them away and death no more has that. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. The pitiful part about the narrative in this with Lazarus is that the Pharisees were still concerned with their pomp and their piety and they actually questioned Jesus Christ what they should do. Uh, it's amazing that he's told them, he spoke to them, but they were so caught up in their knowledge of, supposed knowledge of the scripture, but excuse me, the scriptures had prophecies talking about the Messiah. I think quite possibly what blinded their eye was during that time they were looking for a king a conqueror to come and rescue they didn't understand what the king and the conquering was were talking about talking about king of heaven he stepped off his throne and set down his crown and came down here to be a sacrificial lamb for this world for all of us to every single one of us to have the opportunity to accept in faith and be saved, be redeemed, be rescued from drowning and dying in eternal separation. That's what he came for. He didn't come down here as he will when he comes back. When he comes back for us, he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He will have on his crown. He will have the hosts of heaven will be with him. He will be the conquering king. And then every single person will be compelled to drop to their knees and bow their head and confess. That's how he's going to come back. But then... That's what they were looking for. But the Messiah didn't come that way. He came to be sacrificed first. So they had a problem with that. That's why they didn't see and understand and they questioned so much, I think. How is this, how is this lowly man, this, this carpenter's son, claiming to be the son of God, the Messiah? How dare he? And how dare he to tell us about the scriptures? 
And how dare he to teach them better than we do <laughs> when he was yet 10 years old, separated and lost in a trip with his parents, and he was in the temple teaching. And the elders of the church were amazed then that this child would know so much more and be so much more eloquent in his speech about it. I think that bothered them some and possibly possibly what bothers some now. <laughs> it's amazing. But he that comes and his declarations, it's, it's pretty amazing. So what we have to be wary of, though, is that uh, we have to be wary of the declarations that are made by the false prophet. And he's going to do miracles. And this is coming. This time is coming. The Bible speaks to the Antichrist, the false prophet, and talks about that. There are puppets being manipulated, of course, by Satan because his desire is, and his ultimate goal is because he thinks that he can still have the opportunity to, to win, I guess, what that means to him. But the sadness in my heart for that time is that the Bible specifically tells us to be wary of those that say, oh, Christ is here, Christ is there. Look over here. I know where Christ is. Christ is here now. No, he's not here now because the Bible specifically tells us. And Jesus even answered that when the disciples asked him when he would come. He told them, none know but the Father himself. It is not even spoken of by the angels in heaven. They don't talk about it up there. They don't ask about it because the time clock has not been given yet. God works on his time. It's not on earthly time. That's on his time. And a lot of people will get impatient with that. Well, he this, he that, and he this, and he that. My niece sent me this <laughs> this um, interesting post, and I looked at it, viewed this young man, and it was so funny. To me, I thought it was humorous. He had one single scripture out of the entire Bible. And incidentally, you can go back into the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and you can go back even further, even some of what they some call the lesser prophets, but the prophets of God testified to the birth of Christ and the second coming of Christ. They talk about it. It's in the prophecies. But this young man found one single scripture, totally taken out of context, didn't even read it with the rest of the chapter, to be contextual, one single scripture, and he said, I've proven that Jesus Christ is a liar. Oh, my goodness gracious. And, uh, you know, he was talking about how he was overdue because the Bible talks about the time, and he's, and of course, being the smart aleck he was, he lifts up his watch and he taps on it with his finger, and he goes, I think he's a bit overdue. Well, again, let me remind you that God does not, work on our time and this is how many times we as human beings will get they become impatient for well god you said god you said when where you know he doesn't owe us an answer for that 
when God decides it's the time, it's the time. There's certain things that will need to take place before that does happen. So anyway, there are those that are teaching and leading falsely. And, you know, <laughs> as I shared, they declare that praying out loud is not allowed. And the Holy Spirit is going to give them direction of what one is to do, to tell you what to do, because the Holy Spirit led them to that. Let me, let me say this to you right away. If you have somebody in the church, any, any church you go to, anywhere you go, even one that you've been going to in a long time and you feel comfortable there, and is that more cliquish or is it actually a place to be? Try the Spirit, because it might be telling you it's time to go somewhere else. But if even in that place, if somebody comes up and, and just out of the blue or they come up and say, oh, the Holy Spirit told me that you're supposed to go do this. Don't go do that until you try the Spirit. You pray about it and you lean in and you listen for God to tell you or the Holy Spirit to respond because it will take place. If it's truthful, it will happen. Talk to God and pray because that is what is necessary. God rarely works that direction anymore. There were times where that was done, and you will see that that was done in the Old Testament because things were different. God was not directly in relationship with the people, and people were not there. Just try the Spirit. Try the Spirit in all things. God will answer. The Holy Spirit will respond. And if it's actual, it will be a confirmation of what that person told you. Just be wary when people do things like that, especially if it sounds like something really odd to do and something that seems like it might not be righteous to do. There should always be a red flag that goes up when a person just comes out of the clear blue sky and walks all the way across the auditorium to you and... You know, it might appear that because that's how they came to you. They came from all the way across the auditorium and walked straight to you and said, the spirit told me that you're supposed to, you know, do this or that three times and then go do this. Well, try that spirit, pray about it and seek the truth. Just, just saying, be, be wary because there will be those that are going to uh, lead you astray and it's, we have the opportunity and been given the authority to talk to God himself. You accept Jesus Christ, he's given us that authority. So not saying that the Holy Spirit won't do that or God won't do something like that, have it, but it's going to be in a way that is going to, it's going to let you know. And especially if this person comes and there's discomfiture in what this person is saying, Try the Spirit, pray about it, because that's not what God is about. God is about comfort. God is about love. God is not about any condemnation, um, you know, about something, you know, and they come up speaking and they sound like some of those uh, radio psychics or some of those individuals. Uh, yeah, be careful. <clears throat> Pardon me. So as I'm saying, we have that authority to talk to God himself. Uh, Hebrews 10, 11, and 12 speaks to the integrity in comparison to others. 
We have to be wary to doing that. And this is one of the things that the Pharisees were doing constantly, which is why they came in condemnation to Jesus Christ, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So you can't measure ourselves to other Christians, but to Christ only. The word Christian means Christ-like. So we can't measure ourselves to other Christians or against them for our measurement or how we're doing in Christianity or our walk. And many, like I said, are fearful of death. There is no reason to fear death at all. In Hebrews two fourteen and 15, for inasmuch as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Verse 15, and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So many times, brothers and sisters, you get so fearful of something and just tightens you up and binds you up. And there are actually people in the very real world, and you've probably heard of them, and I can't recall what the what the name is now. I used to know I used to know what it was, but getting older I forget stuff. But you know, there's people that are afraid to leave their homes or their apartments or where they are because they're afraid of everything in and around life and they fear death. And um, the teacher in one of my studies was talking about an acquaintance of his that he had gone to visit one time. And all around this, this guy had oxygen tanks in everywhere, in his garage. Had one in the corner in the kitchen, had one in the dining room, he had one in their car, and and everywhere around this guy he had a bottle of oxygen. And so finally asked why. He said, Well, in case I have a heart attack anywhere, I'll I'll have the air in case the medics don't have theirs and it doesn't work. He says, I have these and and they always work. My goodness gracious. Wow. Uh, you know, that's that's some kind of fear there. And then you have those, like I said, they lock themselves, they sequester themselves in their houses without even being told to do so. <laughs> they just do it because they're afraid to go out. They don't want to get hit by a car. They don't want anything to happen to them. And, you know, the, the pastor related this incident for his, I think he said it was his brother or his brother-in-law. Can't remember. But anyway... I, the mother, the kids, and their dad were just leaving the, the service because their mother had passed away, you know, and he was thinking of something that, um, how to talk to them. He didn't really know how to say anything to them. And then this really big moving truck came and the shadow started across them and it startled the kids, but then they stopped because it was the shadow that had gone across them and it just drew their attention right away. I guess they were looking down in that pass and then the light clicked on 
in the in the father's head and he just stopped him and he looked at him and he said let me ask you a question kids he said would you rather be hit and run over by the truck or a shadow and they all kind of looked a little puzzled but they said you know of course the shadow and then he did this great great thing and this is what we have to remember in death Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside the still waters he restoreth my soul he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me so only in part did I read that and y'all know that that's a really great verse in the Bible because it tells us so many things all right there that the valley of the shadow of death it's a shadow we pass through shadows the valley of the shadow of death the valley is open on both ends it's not closed off it's something that you're not trapped into a valley is open on both ends you can walk through the valley and that's what the shadow of death is it's a portal you can walk through it you can pass through it and it says right here that God is with us he's with us even when we pass from the temporal plane that we're on now, we pass through death on our way to eternity. What is there to fear there? There is no fear. I I used to have that fear. I mean, I shared with you the thought process I had when I was, I was actually contemplating so discouraged and so depressed about what was going on, what was in my life and things that were happening. I was going to drive that big truck right over the Oakland Bay Bridge. I was going to go right through the rail, contemplated it so realistically in my mind's eye, figured out that the railing wasn't going to stop me because if I shifted it just right and I bumped that little tiny median that was in the roadway, I said, how are they going to stop me? This is 80-some thousand pounds I'm hauling here. I can do this. And then off the bridge I went and done. And then that voice in my ear, what about your grandchildren? (laughs) And my children weren't even, they weren't even into their preteens yet. They hadn't even gotten to that point in their life. They probably weren't even thinking about girls at that time. That's how little they were. But the voice in my ear said, what about your grandchildren? That thought of suicide is planted there by the devil as minions when they come in. Gets into the mind, our attic, and tries to kick the boxes around and think, get us to go into the memories that we shouldn't have there anyway, but we go back and we pick them up. That's what we do. The sting of death by Christ's death and his resurrection is removed. It's it's gone. He took that away. First Corinthians fifteen fifty five through 58 talks about that and in part here O death where is thy sting O grave where is thy victory 
Wow. Verse 58, as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, brothers and sisters, our labor is not in vain. We have heaven to look forward to. We have rewards that are there, but that's, that's not the greatest reward. The reward is that we're going to spend eternity with God, Jesus Christ, and our loved ones. We have loved ones in the past, and if they are faithful and believers and Christian, they will be there. Their salvation accepted Christ. They'll be there. We'll be able to have that time with them. And they're going to have, oh my gosh, the feasting that's going to be there. Going to have these huge tables. Man, you talk about, you know, talk, people talk about parties down here. Shoo. You know, Jesus Christ spoke parabolically a lot, which is kind of an interesting thing because he, you know, and there was one pastor, I can't remember that. I'm going to find it and share it sometime. But, you know, he talked to this when they talked about things and he said, I I learned or uh, from what I heard and my father, I'm thinking, and going back to the Old Testament too, when God was speaking directly to his prophets or he was spoke like he did with Moses, and Enoch, oh my gosh, Enoch. He walked with God all the time and was so faithful. God spoke directly to him. But he was so faithful to God and walking with God so closely. He and God were friends. And it tells that in the scripture. That when it came time that Enoch just went out for a walk one day and then was not. That's all it said. And then he was not. God just took him to heaven. He didn't die, he didn't pass, he just walked into heaven. Oh my gosh, what a, wow. That's just, that's pretty powerful. Anyway, Jesus speaking parabolically in Luke 16, uh, the rich man and the poor man, and this kind of really got agitation stirred up in the Pharisees. And the rich man comparing himself and making it known how much he had and the poor man that was sitting at the gate hoping for a morsel, getting nothing from this guy, and they both died. And the poor man, loving God and faithful and true, was carried by the angels and delivered to the bosom of Abraham. On the rich man, only faithful to his wealth and his self, was buried. What the hell? had no faith in God. His faith was in himself, self-centered. His money was his idol. Let's remember that death is not a destination. Psalm 23 talks about that. Oh my gosh. It's such an absolute illustration of that in verse four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Wow, that's that's pretty powerful. And that's what I... I'm looking forward to is being with my loved ones. Not that I'm chasing after death and wanting to. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying my my life, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's the whole thing. The joy of the Lord is my strength, and that's what we need to look for. Don't look for the happenings around us to develop our happiness, because that's not what happiness is dependent on. And if we did that so many times, you look around, and this is what throws people into such a depressive state of mind as they look around themselves and they depend on happenings or circumstances to make them happy. 
That's not where we belong, brothers and sisters. We belong in the joy of the Lord. And that there's nothing that can compare to that. If we just seek that time, that truth, and being with him all the time, that we can be peaceful, we can be joyful. I've shared with you already that what I used to have, oh my gosh, there was a time. Yeah, everybody wanted my money and all I had to do was sign my name and it was a done deal. Real estate, automobiles, things, 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 all temporal things. And I look around sometimes, I sit here and I just, sitting right here where I'm at right now, I'm just looking up here and seeing the little that remains, but I'm joyful because then my eyes lift up higher and I look at these and I save some of these because they're really pretty and some of them are photographic Christmas cards and they have members of my earthly family, not my blood earth family, but my Christian earth family where they send me greetings and they are, they're photographic. You've seen them. They have the the photo of the whole plan and you know it's their Christmas card it's the way they do things which are beautiful and I've got some up here that show you know when their kids were younger and then the next one and how much they've grown in just a, a short amount of time and I'm sitting here looking at my my niece and my great nephew beautiful handsome little Dominic oh my gosh and you know what I have I'm joyful for, I look around at what little temporal things that I, tangible I can put my hands on, but the little that I have, I'm joyful because God is with me, walks with me, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you've gotten some things from this. And just remember in Psalms 23, if we just take a minute to look at that, David talks about the Lord as a shepherd. Then he speaks to him. That's an interesting thing, noting that in Psalm 23, we see in the first part that he's talking about God. And then you come down here and in verse four and beyond, to the end of it. He's talking to God. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Doesn't say, because I heard that you're with me. And, and it's, just, it's just kind of interesting. First he's talking about God, then he's talking directly to him. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. Wow. That's... It's pretty, it's pretty powerful stuff. And I love it. I love it because it's truth. And I've had so many things shown me that it is true. And then, of course, brothers and sisters, I'm going to leave you with this because I'm quite certain that I've gone pretty lengthy. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious, yeah. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. That's God's promise. Brothers and sisters, 
can't help I get a little verbose and I get carried away, especially with the gospel of Jesus Christ and talking about God. Love you all. You have a blessed day. Yahweh, Abba, Father, thank you for this day, this time of sharing, Father. The, the words I share with my brothers and sisters are for your glory, not for my glory, not for my name, Father God. Your glory, your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news, the word of his life, Believing on him, we can come and pray to you, Father God. We can come and talk to you. The Holy Ghost, the Comforter, Paracletos, it was promised to us, that would come when Jesus left to guide and teach us. When he left and would be with us until he returns, Father God. And that time is your time and only you know. Father God, thank you for these words. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity, this blessing, Father. Bless me so that I can bless others and let them know always that it comes from you, Father God, that you're using me as a conduit for them. Yahweh, Amen, Yahshua, Amen, Parakletos, Amen. Brothers and sisters, how are you? This is... um. This is a follow-up and come back again to our faith. Faith is of import always in all things. And we talked about depression and death. I shared in some messages before. And these are things that are real and in this word. And here in this Bible, the book of truth, the word of God... The gospel of Jesus Christ and things of old before Jesus came and of things that are happening after. And brothers and sisters, I say this because there is, pardon me, there is nowhere in the Bible that says that God is going to take us out of whatever is going on, the tumult, the tumultuous occasions that take place around us, and you see all this, just look around and see what's going on. But here's the thing. Jesus speaks in John 17, and it's a prayer over the disciples, essentially. And his prayer for the unity of the church, that we are all together, we are all one. We are brothers and sisters in him and through him. So John 14, and I have given them thy word, and the word hath, and the world hath hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have sent, I also sent them into the world. 
and for their sakes I sanctify myself, and they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and they also may be one in us, for that the world may be believe that thou hast sent me. And that, brothers and sisters, is what this is all about. This is about the good news gospel of Jesus Christ and his prayer over the disciples there in the book of John that John relates is just the fact that we are called to his purpose, believing on him in his name and that we, through Jesus, have the capability of praying to him and talking to him. And like I shared with you before, that we have to be wary of those that teach falsely, false doctrines and teachings in the church because there are many that do. And um, they're going to say that they are the only ones that have the ability, their elders and their prophets that they have designated and that they have anointed are the ones capable to speak to God and that their members are not allowed to talk to God and speak openly to him or the Holy Spirit because their prophets and elders are the only ones that can do that. Well, that's contrary teaching. And there is word to the effect that will take place for them. And the Bible says it would be better that they had not known the word. There will be a special judgment if they do not repent and come to God and ask forgiveness. And they just continue for their own vainglory and their purpose. There will be a special judgment for them. And why? Because they have taken the word of God, the truth, and twisted it, maligned it for their own gain, their own purpose. They have become, in, in part, in league with the devil. Every good gift that God has for us, Satan can mask, manipulate, and change, just like his many names. And he can darken and use those for his benefit and try to confuse and line us. The only thing that Satan cannot do that he has no authority of anymore, and there's certain things from heaven because he was cast out. Why do you think he's working so hard at keeping us from that place? He used to be in heaven before his pride welled up and he decided he wanted to be God or as God. He cannot speak or understand the heavenly language which comes through Paracletos, the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul talks about in times that we pray without ceasing and that we pray in the heavenly language. Some people get very caught up in uh, 
speaking in tongues. Um, they, some don't believe that it's spiritual. And I've heard this spoken in churches before, which is really baffling to me because it's in the Bible. It talks about it, and it is good thing. And that Paul talks about speaking in tongues. He talks about all the gifts, but specifically about speaking in tongues. The speaking in tongues has a place. It is a message from heaven and sent specifically to a person but there's always an interpretation. You have to understand that God is not a God of confusion. And that the confusion comes in our own mindset. And this is why God always provides a translation for when it's openly spoken in a congregation. But there is a time and a place for that to happen but we can use that heavenly language to communicate directly with heaven in our prayer, in our prayer time. And when it speaks about praying and we don't not sure what to pray about, that we seek the Holy Spirit and have him guide us through our prayer and we can do so. And speaking in a heavenly language forbids... <laughs> the prince of the air to be able to intercept, um, intervene, and try to head off. I mean, he can't understand it. He, it's confusion to him. So when we're speaking in the spirit, we're talking to God, and we're speaking directly to heaven. Satan, the enemy, fear, the liar, Lucifer, whatever names that are attached you know, the lists are many for him, and they're, he, he can't understand heavenly speech any longer. It permits a direct communication with our Lord God. And we are told that we can speak to him because Jesus Christ has done what he did for us when he came and was sacrificed. And that opened our way for the Lord. And, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing thing that people have such difficulty in understanding this. And <laughs> Pontius Pilate had an understanding of it. There's a conversation in part with Jesus Christ, also in John. And this is John 18. In 36 through 38, Jesus' conversation with Pilate, Pilate's conversing with him and, and had asked him about uh, what he had done and is he a king? And he was explaining that his kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of the world, my servants would fight that I shouldn't be delivered this way. And explaining to them that he was a king, but from heaven. 
but it was for his reason and his cause that he came in, in the, to come into this world that he's going to testify to the truth and bear witness to the truth. Pilate told him, and in their conversation, he asked him, what is truth? And then he just left. He went back to the Jews, the Sanhedrin that were pushing for Jesus Christ to be crucified. And he said, I find no fault in this man. I find no fault in him. The very ones that had come, you know, that in and of itself is an interesting case in point. These men, and there was the gathering of the scribes and the Pharisees, and then you had those that were uh, the Sadducees. They made up the body of the Sanhedrin. They all came and they were supposed to be so learned in the scriptures, but they had allowed their arrogance and piety to take them to a place that they forgot what they had read about. The scriptures prophesied about the coming Messiah. And sadly, there are some that are still looking for the Messiah to come. They had the notion that he would come as a triumphant reigning king. He will when he comes a second time. But they were looking for that to take place when he showed up. The son of a carpenter from Nazareth. Nothing good ever comes from Nazareth. That's what they used to say because it was such a lowly place and just a place of their craftsmen. But you know, we must be faithful, have faith, believe. It's of import. And in Second Corinthians 12, Paul is writing to the church and explaining some of these things. And that Jesus Christ came to bestow certain things on the disciples, on all of us, because we are all disciples. We are studying the word of God to spread the truth. And when we have in chapter 12, 9 and 10, Paul is sharing a little and, and exercising his faith. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities in persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. It might seem a little confusing to some folks, but Paul is talking about not doing what he does for his own name's sake, for his own sake, but for Christ's sake, for the, for the good news gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and in our weakness because we are weak and we will fall to that. But in our weakness, God's strength is shown and shared. And this is just one part when I had shared with you all before that throughout the Bible, there are portions where God says to be of strong courage, be of good courage, stand upright, be brave, be courageous. There will be a need for this. This is showing it here. All the things you you know, some may or may not be aware, but Paul wrote most of his epistles or his the books that he penned, his letters to the various churches and to his um, Timothy and Titus and all, most of those were all written from prison. And the last one that he wrote to Titus was, he was sharing with Titus that he was getting ready to die. And he knew that his time was coming. But he also had faith in God. And he knew that to die was gain. He would rather stay here. And this is what I was sharing when we were talking about death. I would rather stay here and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and do these things. But if I should die, it's only gain. This is why we should never fear death. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. My God is with us, brothers and sisters and everything. We need to hold on to this faith. Not only standing on the promises of God, our our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and God, our Creator and Father, our good, good Father. He's a way maker, a promise keeper. He is a faithful, true, just God. And not just because those are the right things to do, but that is his character, brothers and sisters. That is his character, our faith in that. And the book of Hebrews really expounds on on faith a lot. And part of uh, chapter 11, some theologians call it the hall of faith. But there are people that are listed here that had some problems with faith in these things. And, you know, it talks about faith, and I shared, I'm pretty certain, if my old memory serves correctly, that I'd shared with you about Enoch. In chapter 11, verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated and that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. God enjoyed Enoch. And back in the days of the Old Testament, God would walk with his people, talk with his people, and come like he did in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden. He would come and he would walk. His spirit would walk with Adam and Eve. And they shared time together. And then, of course, the wily serpent beguiled Eve, tempted her. She succumbed to the temptation, convinced Adam that he should likewise. 
and then the fall from grace, which is why we go through everything that we go through. And then the serpent, of course, was cursed and cast out. Because the spirit of the devil had come into the serpent. I'm sorry, I am certain that the speaker is picking up these uh, flips and turns in the pages. I wanted to find that uh, here in... Uh, here we go. This is in, uh, if we go back to Genesis 5, it shares and talks about Enoch. And it talks here, uh, pick up in Genesis 5, 18 through 24. I'm going to backtrack a little bit because this is talking about uh, before Enoch. And Jared lived... 160 and two years, and he begat Enoch. Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were, 900, were 960 and two years. And then he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. They were friends. Brothers and sisters, we get caught up in so much of what goes on in this world. God is our friend, our creator, Abba, Rafa. I shared a list of the names that, that we have of God and for God. Yahweh first spoke to Moses. When Moses asked him, who should I say sent me? He said, you tell them I am sent you, for I am. And then he gave us permission to call him Yahweh. And then those of the old Jewish way believed that he was so holy that they knocked out a couple letters there so they couldn't say the whole word. You know, this is what uh, what happens a lot of times with man. They start doing things and changing things and saying things that are actually contrary to the word, but they get so wound up and caught up in this. And then they start applying themselves to everything about God, and they want to change it. This is the false teaching of the false doctrines that I was talking about. And this is what men will do. They come in and they become, you know, they've been appointed in the elders and leaders for a church or they seat a church and they start it up. And then they become arrogant, prideful, pious, and above all those that they're supposed to be teaching, guiding, leading, and helping. And then it becomes all about them and not about the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, and the blessings flow from heaven 
and they forget where they come from and they forget what they're about. They're not, it's not about them. It's about the glory to God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what we must hold on to. And it says in uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, to do good to one another, to love one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Brothers and sisters, I look around and I see these things and I get into the word and I see things coming that have been prophesied. They are coming. The time is coming soon. No, not exactly when for only the Father knows. But we must have faith and that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We talked about the pilots and mechanics and all these things that people seem to have faith in here. Yet they don't see it happening. They don't see who's doing this, but they have faith in that. So why is it that it's so difficult to have faith in God? The only things that he asks is that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, and that he died for our sake so that we could be in heaven in eternity with our Father God and him. It's so difficult to have faith in him. I, I find it hard. Of course, there was a time, let me share with you, that I wasn't like this. I was, I was raised in a church. I was brought up, I looked around, I saw things happen. I even witnessed things that were miraculous to me. Even then, and not totally understanding, and having read through the Bible and believing it, but I was more of a, um, the secular world Christian as a matter of convenience and a matter of being part of the in crowd that in that day it was uh, an in thing to be in Bible studies in school. And isn't that something? In those days, it was okay to carry a Bible in school. It was okay to have a prayer meeting during the lunch hour. And it was okay to openly Bible study. We used to sit in a big circle group in high school and have Bible study at lunchtime. And we used to sit out in our little section of grass out in front of the school and share song, worship songs. In those days, that was okay. There was persecution then, as always. I mean, there's always persecution when it comes to discussion of God or about God's ways, always. But I mean, it was acceptable then that, that there was going to be that. And we had our Bible study anyway, but now kids can't even pray in school. Oh my goodness, they don't even, they're not allowing them to say the Pledge of Allegiance for Pete's sake. There are things that are coming at our children. Here's, here's the thing that we need to understand too in this. The object and the greatest thing that's going on around here is not because of the politics and certain agendas that these 
foolish people have. This is about the deeper, darker agenda that is meant to drive derision into the churches, into the families, into the world at large to separate us and keep the separation vastly wide open between man, mammon and God. And the only thing that's going to bring anything back, especially in this nation in which we live in, is to become that one nation under God. There was a time, if you recite the Pledge of Allegiance, just say it over in your own head, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, one nation under God, indivisible. Indivisible, what does that mean? Not being able to separate one from another because we are united in one cause. Brothers and sisters, this is why it's important that we are that same way. We do not be divisible. The attack on the church is real, and that is the agenda that's being manipulated through these various groups that are going on out there. But they don't realize, they think they're made to believe, and this is what Satan does, and this is how he works and manipulates, just like he makes people believe that what is going on, if they're not careful and they seek God's wisdom they, and knowledge, that they're going to be duped into thinking that it's of God, when in fact it is not. Satan does have that capability. There are certain things that he is pardon me, is doing and certain things that he cannot do because he's not allowed. God maintains his sovereignty, even in all these things that are going on until that time that our Lord comes back and will come back as the reigning king. So be wary, be cautious, be faithful, and be true and understand that in these tumultuous times and the things that take place and God carries us through, that it helps increase and strengthen our faith, brothers and sisters. Because then you can look back and say, wow, that was powerful and God helped me through that. Yeah, let's go, let's go. We'll keep stepping forward. And this is what Joshua reminded the people. And this is what we have difficulty in because when God forgives and we've repented, he tosses those things that we've given to him into the sea of forgetfulness. But then what do we do? We swim out, we dive down, and we pull it up and bring it back and stick it up in the attic where it doesn't belong. And then the devil is aware. And he'll send his minions up in there and they start kicking them around the boxes, kick them open and spill things out. They have no business being there anyway. And then it starts stirring up things in our mind. But God is always with us. Always with us. We just need to forget those things. But this is one thing that sometimes people will be confused in. But Joshua, when they were getting ready to go into, the, into Canaan, Joshua told them to look back, but not to look back and dwell in the past but to look back and see all the times that God has been with them. Leading them through the wilderness, pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night to give them 
comfort, warmth, and to remind them that, that he was there. All the things that he did when he fed them in the wilderness, and when he brought the quail, when he brought the manna from heaven, heavenly bread, <clears throat> and he brought them water up out of where? The middle of the desert and nowhere. And he still brought them water. And it's just, that's, that's how we have to look back. We have to look back in that way to remember what God has brought us through, brothers and sisters, because it's with him. And he has always promised to be with us. Sometimes when, and this is the human nature in people, be careful when you tell someone that you forgive them. Because when you tell them that you forgive them, we must be compelled to forgive them the way that we were forgiven. But humanistically, people will come up and then something will happen. And then what do they want to do? They want to point you, their finger at you and say, yeah, but I remember when. Oh, you do? I thought you told me you forgave me. Yeah, but. See, here's the thing. With God, there is no yeah, but comma, or yeah, comma, but. There is none of that. When he says he forgives us, we are forgiven, period. No comma, period. But when human beings will say they forgive you, they're going to try to remember the first thing that you cross up, and they're going to say, yeah, but I knew that would happen, or that's just like you were. And they always like to dredge up the past. I have an individual, <laughs> fairly close, unfortunately, and claimed to forgive. But one of the first things that came out of his mouth in agitation was just like you were. You haven't changed at all. Oh, really? <laughs> the interesting part of that is that, um, well, you're going to guess this one anyway and, and, and uh, when it comes up. But at any rate, he wasn't even old enough to know because that separation had already taken place. And of course, I'm sure you've probably figured out that this is one that the Holy Spirit told me and reminded me, what about my grandchildren? So even family members will do this. But here's the thing. I don't get jacked about that because it's in the Bible that it's going to happen. There will be that separation. This is part of the derision that the enemy tries to drive in in the wedge to destroy the family, attack the children. Why? Because children are the most precious to the parents. The true parent that tries to love and devote and do everything they can for their child. To separate that family group. And has been doing it for, for a long time. You have others... You know, in the black community where there is the fathers are separated from their families, which is so heartbreaking because, man, I remember growing up and I remember being where I was at before this wedge started driving in and it's been happening for decades. But they separate the father from the family. 
and they drive that. And part of that is a governmental issue, but the thing of it is that that agenda is not the government. Everybody thinks it's all about what's going on here in the physicality of this earth. It's not. There's a deeper, darker agenda to this. Separate the father from the family group. Why? Because the father's the head of the house, intended to be the head of the house. And the family is stronger when there's unity with the, with the father and mother. Unfortunately, I was not the man of God I should have been. Had I been, I'm quite certain that, that we would have stayed together. I believe that. I firmly believe that in my heart. But I was not the man of God I should have been. And rather than keeping that portion together and talking about the issues with my wife, <laughs> silly jarhead I was, I believe my companions and believed what was said there and then the separation, the derision came. And therein is the problem that we have, is that we have that continuing in this world today. So brothers and sisters, we are called to be a gathering people and we are called to consider one another to provoke unto love and good works toward one another. This is what we're told to do. God designed us to be that way. God designed us to be together, not apart. And let me ask you a question. Are we not, or what's that, how's that old adage go? Uh, there's strength in numbers. And are we not better together than we are apart? Yeah. So here and again, why do you think that this is all this stuff is going on? These lockdowns, stay apart, stay this way, stay that way. No, you can't do this, don't go there. This is a darker agenda than what people think is going on. Be wary, be cautious, be in prayer constantly. Paul said that we can pray without ceasing. It takes a little practice and you don't have to be on your knees to pray. You don't have to stand with your hands in the air. There are very many different prayer postures. I pray through the course of my day as I'm working. I'm a professional operator of a commercial vehicle, but I pray during the course of my work day. I pray over my brothers and sisters because that's what we're told to do. So I do it. I pray in the morning before I get up and when I go to bed at night, sometimes very tired, and then I wind up kicking myself for not doing that, but I pray over my brothers and sisters to be of good courage, to be strong, be upright. God calls us to be that. He loves us. Just have faith, brothers and sisters. Walk in faith and not by sight, not by what we see going on around us in the world, but by the faith that God as our God and he is going to be with us through all things and these things are promised and God will make a way and remember here too in the book of Revelation in 21 when 
the Spirit of God is talking to John on the island of Patmos. So, in chapter 21, 5 through 7, this is, um, John is relating his vision that he had and the Spirit of God talking to him. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So, brothers and sisters, this is what we have to look forward to, is that the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author, the finisher of all things and all creation declares that all we have to do is have faith and overcome and we will be part of that inheritance. He's promised that to us. All we have to do is come through these things faithfully. That's all he asks of us to do is be faithful and believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to close up because there I went and got long-winded again. I'm, I'm trying really hard, but I just can't not talk about God and the gospel. So just remember, brothers and sisters, that, and one final thought. For me, myself, I would rather have the choice to stand with God and be judged of mammon, mankind, have them point their finger at me, and if it should come to the point that, and, and I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you know, it's not doom and gloom because this is prophesied in the Bible. It's the truth. There's coming a time when the persecution will be very, very heavy and like it was in the old days. That the persecution will be so heavy and people will be put to death for being Christian. It's already happening. There are more martyrs for the name of Jesus Christ and their faith in God in this, our modern century, than there has been in previous combined. There are people that are being beheaded and executed for their faith in God and professing the name of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we just have to look around and see that it hasn't exploded the way it has in other countries. You have thousands of people in North Korea that are imprisoned and turned and going to re-education camps. And oh my gosh, here's this thing here that, that just sent a chill up. They're talking about quote-unquote re-education camps being established in the United States. And there are things that were in a prophecy some years ago that I heard. And this is um, kind of chilling that they're, they're actually, these things were being built some years ago. Foundations and indications. And I was curious why these areas, as large as they were, what they would be possibly for. And then seeing, going by the same place at a later time and that there's perimeter fencing, but nothing inside. 
and going by again and still nothing inside. No structure that will cause a rigid stir and attention to the place, but just a fencing, but yet it seemed like there was activity there all the time. Just saying. This is something real that's coming. But anyway, brothers and sisters, the thing of it is that we need to stay focused. Stay focused on God, not focus on all these things that are going around. Have I not commanded thee to be of strong courage? Joshua 1.9. Just hold on to that. Hold on to the promises of God. Not to just stand on the promises, but hold on to them. And here's the other thing, and then for real, I'm going to go. God does not mind that we remind him that he said something, made a promise in a certain passage in the Bible. I think it actually puts a little wry grin on his face when we remind him of things. He does not mind because that is ultimately telling him and confessing to him that we're in his word. He already knows if we're reading the Bible or we're not reading the Bible. But for us to come and say, you know, it's just like my earthly father never ceased to amaze me how he found out that I was doing certain things. I mean, it was like I started, of course, there were no surveillance cameras like they have out everywhere today. Back in the day, we still had rotary phones, so I mean, he couldn't track me through something I didn't have, but he just seemed to know. And then when I made confessions, and good things too, I mean, I'm just trying to get away with what I could get away with as a kid. But he would you get this little crooked smile, just like one corner of his mouth would move over to start to form a smile. So I see God is doing that. When we confess him that we're in his word and we're saying, Abba, Yahweh, Father, you said here, he's faithful and true, gracious, merciful, kind and loving. Don't ever forget that. Okay. I'm out for real now for this day. Be blessed in this day. Go forward and be blessed. Go forward in faith. Love one another. Provoke one another to faith. And remember, try the spirit of what I speak. If the Holy Spirit tells you, go away. Doesn't matter. It doesn't hurt my feelings because I know that what I speak is truth. Because the Holy Spirit brought me to this, I, God has condoned what I'm doing to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you go forward. Have a good day. Have a blessed day. Have a beautiful day. Where I'm at right now, it's a little chilly. It's surprising. The temperatures are up. Now they're back down. But it's beautiful out. I love it. Have a good day. See you. Bye.